This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode number 26. Guys, this is straight from my heart. If I could choose what I really want for kids growing up today, or really anybody, I want folks to have the skill set to process what Ever they're feeling. So it's it's unrealistic to think that we're going to feel happy all the time. It's not how life works. But what I want is for kiddos to know how to work through things like sadness, anger, fear. We often will let them express and we might even identify for them. I hear that you're sad. And then we tend to jump right to problem solving, trying to solve that problem. We're missing a couple steps in there. And I really wanted to dive in. What does it really look like in the day-to-day life of raising tiny humans to build emotional intelligence, to build things like coping skills, to help them learn skills like instead of throwing this toy, I can say, I'm really frustrated. I was trying to build something and it fell down. Or to be able to say, I'm feeling really sad. I don't want you to go. And then to know what to do with that, to know how to tap into their coping strategies, to have a toolbox to work from. So I reached out to one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, Logan Blask. She married my brother and is the mom to twins who are almost six. And these kiddos are two of the most emotionally intelligent tiny humans I've ever met. And they speak with respect for each other, for themselves, for adults, for their space. They are kind, they're empathetic, they're compassionate, and they're still strong individuals. They still have a voice and you can have all of that. I wanted to talk to Logan about what she did. What were her secrets? How did she do this? What did her day-to-day look like? What was critical for her in shaping these tiny humans? What years, what stages, what phrases, what routines and habits? And she was an open book. It was amazing. I honestly, this was the longest recording we've ever had. 
and we cut it down as much as possible, but it's on the longer side. So feel free to take a break and come back if you have to. It's all good. And she wraps up with hot tips and takeaways for you that you will not want to miss. So stay tuned through the episode. And we also created a free list of books that you can read with your tiny humans that help build emotional intelligence. And we talk about ways to do that and and how to kind of further the conversation beyond the book. But you can snag that list over on seedandso.org under our freebies tab, or you can get it on the blog at voicesofyourvillage.com and Logan's blog episode will be there and there'll be a link for download there. Uh, so snag your list today and pop on over to Instagram at seed and sew, seed dot and dot sew, S-E-W, to dive into this conversation. I cannot wait to hear your questions and what your thoughts are after tuning into this episode. Thanks, guys. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. trying to raise kids who believe in equality. Am I right? But how to do that is a whole different ballgame. Little Feminist Book Club created book subscription boxes that come with a book and follow-up questions and activities that you can do with your tiny humans to expose them to equality across races and genders and abilities. They have a quiz to build your book library. They have so many resources and tools for you, and they're offering off your subscription if you head over to littlefeminist.com and put in the code VOICES in all caps. You guys need to head over and do that right now because this only lasts until August 10th. That's littlefeminist.com. Head over right now, put in the code VOICES, V-O-I-C-E-S, all caps, to receive $5 off your subscription box, or you can choose to donate that $5 to any charity of choice. Welcome to Voices of Your Village. Today I'm here with one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Oh, <laughs> right back at you. Thanks, Logs. So I'm here with my sister-in-law, Logan, who has been in my life for, woof, how long? Brian and I will be celebrating our 20-year dating oh my gosh. this summer. That's amazing. So, 20 years. Since you were 10. Yeah, 9. 9, yeah. Yeah, that's adorable. I grew up getting Logan's like hand-me-downs and (laughs) all the things. She's been a big sister to me for a long time. And it's been awesome to see you like as a high schooler into college and then become a parent. It's the most natural thing that I've ever seen you do. And you have excelled at almost anything you've ever done in your life. And you're just such an amazing parent, and I've learned so much from you, and I've loved being on this journey with you guys. And 
So I'm excited to learn how you how you're doing it. <laughs> well, I thought I might cry when I was talking about like the birth story or something, but I'm I'm crying already. But you know that about me. That's not a surprise. <laughs> you're that more than welcome to cry. There might be two of us. <laughs> that means a lot. <laughs> so can you tell everybody else who doesn't hasn't known you for 20 years who you are and sure. what your family looks like? Sure. So I'm Logan Blask. Um, I married Alyssa's brother, and we started dating when I was. 16 years old. And um, so he's a big part of all of this behind the scenes. And um, so I went to school for L-Ed, special ed, and I got my master's in literacy. So I was a teacher for eight years and I coached because sports is kind of, I guess, in my blood. I love it. (laughs) And um, then I, yeah, I taught and coached and I loved that. All growing up, I, I loved kids. I loved teaching. So all my jobs were babysitting and lifeguarding and swim lessons with kids. And then Brian and I decided we're like, we're ready for this kid thing to happen. And it did not happen right away. It took a little bit of time. That was just part of our journey. And I think in the long run, it made me appreciate and want them even more that it took some time. Gosh, the minute I'll cry now, of course, again. Those babies were placed in my arms. It was like, I felt like it was meant to be. Like, the whole journey, like, everything, I guess people say everything changes, but it did. Like, I knew in my heart I was not going back to teaching. I was not going (laughs) to spend a day without those babies. Yeah, I felt like motherhood just was my calling, and I've loved every single day since. It's been an awesome journey. I think maybe Emerson being in NICU and being super small... That um, I yeah, think it's, for for our listeners, she was three pounds fourteen ounces. Yeah, she was a peanut, <laughs> and um, she was thirty seven and a half weeks. So, I mean, so luckily she like her lungs were fully developed, and she was only in NICU for three days. But having them separated and seeing what other kids were going through at NICU was super hard. But I I feel like I'm a, I'm a pre- pretty like half glass full person. So when we were going through that NICU experience, I took out of it just that we were lucky to get her to come home with us. And she was one of the healthy ones. And she was, gosh, she was so strong and such a fighter. And Spence was like seven pounds. Seven pounds, one ounce. <laughs> like, yeah, he was like the, the big boy coming out. Yeah, bigger than like singletons. And it's been that way ever since. Um, but I think that helped get me give me perspective going into motherhood. I know... For, you know, birth can bring on a lot of emotions and sometimes really tough times. For us, I had like almost an emotional high mm. afterwards. And I think it was the NICU experience that they pretty much said to us, like, she's not coming home with her brother. And then she passed all these tests and did great. And I got to see these kids that weren't coming home. And it helped me set my whole tone for motherhood in the sense that, like, yes, it was hard feeding her every two hours. The doctor said to do that. But I would have done anything to keep her safe. Like, she relied on us. And, like, going to the doctor and doing daily birth checks or weight checks, excuse me, was nothing. Like, that's just what you did. And I think it just helped me gain perspective on my, like, the start to motherhood of, like, this is this is our start. This is our beginning. I'm just happy to have them and that they're healthy. Yeah. Um, and she's so been a fighter from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were like, they said straight up, they've never seen someone that little come go home so quickly and come down to the seventh floor with her brother. And she did it and she passed all her tests and the car seat check and she and came she's home kept together. kept up with them ever since. Totally. You wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So now we have five-year-old boy-girl twins, Emerson and Spencer, that it just, they just bring me joy. Like they just, the bottom line, they're my favorite people to be with. Mm. So here we are. So here we are. Yeah. Almost six-year-old, as Emerson reminded you this She'll morning. She'll remind you. <laughs> to me, they'll be five years old till August 10th, but yes, I don't want to rush it. <laughs> I, this morning, they, the kids had a conflict, and you asked Emerson, is this a problem a five-year-old can solve? And mm-hmm. she goes, yeah, but I'm almost six. <laughs> She'll quickly remind me. Yes, it's humbling. This motherhood thing is very humbling. I don't have all the answers. It's so funny. Uh, when you came into it, like right from the beginning, what is something that you're like, I would a thousand percent do that again and make sure because it changed our world. I guess for for starters, I would 100% go back and spend the sheer amount of time with them. Mm. I never regret saying no to anything. We passed on weddings or things. So spending just our, our time with them because mm. it's true when you blink, they're five so that um, I would con- I would start it just as early as I did before. So I would start the conversations about identifying emotions, talking that emotions are a, a good thing to feel mm. um, at an early age. Um, I guess bottom line is I would make the investment in time all over again. I would just spend the sheer amount of time working and um, talking with them about emotions, like being a role model for it, emphasizing it, you know, using all the teachable moments to not, you know, not, not be on my phone. I would spend that time just building their emotional intelligence like I did, just the sheer amount of in, of time that it took, yeah. I would I would do that, and I would invest that time all oh. over again because it was well worth it. I think yeah. what we did when they were, you know, infants and toddlers laid the foundation for this magical, wonderful time with them throughout the years as they were infants and toddlers, and now. Mm. And not to say there's little differences I would do differently. I would teach them maybe to pick up their toys a little bit sooner or, <laughs> you know, like the right. responsibility things, right. like, like little things. But you but would just, a thousand percent going back, focus on emotional intelligence. I would it's, still. It's, I, even more so, like I don't even know if I could spend any more time on it, but like I could. They are, I, would, I think, the two most emotionally intelligent five-year-olds I've ever known. So I don't know that you could do it more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, I would just spend that amount of time working on emotional intelligence, and mm-hmm. and because now it's almost like we get to to enjoy them and in, in that that investment and that work and all those times that we said no to things or or that we just dropped the phone conversations or we were present with them and and we were able to to talk to them and work through things and be able to build them into problem solvers so that now they can you know resolve conflict on their own right. I would just spend that time working on their social emotional intelligence yeah all over again that's huge because also 
uh, what we haven't talked about is the fact that they are like academically soaring, right? So you also invested time in their academic life. It's not yeah. like you ignore their academic life and we're like all in on social emotional. Sure. So yeah. it's huge to hear that like going back, yeah. if you have to invest in anything, it's not necessarily making sure they can write the letter A at one and a half. Sh- yeah, yeah. But being able to say, I feel sad at one and a half. 100%. You're right. Like, we do spend a chunk of our time. Like, we do learning time. It started because we have this non-traditional, like, I didn't send them to preschool right away. And I was like, and I was a teacher, so it gave me my teaching outlet. It's just always been part of our day. So, yes, we absolutely do this this structured learning time. And we have for years a lot of it through play and their interests. Totally. Don't get me wrong, but like that. It's a hundred percent emergent curriculum. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and as they get older, not all the time or not every day, but yeah, we, we do involve their interests and, but they are doing well academically, academically. It will even off like the, the playing field. Like, you know, all kids are, they're going to learn to read. They're going to learn to write. Mm-hmm. Kids are going to learn to walk. Not all kids are going to learn how to be, emotionally intelligent without that investment in time like it just it doesn't happen magically some kids naturally it comes a little bit easier for but that empathy and that compassion is what I want for them long term and there will always be more content there will always be more facts to learn they can always do math facts quicker thank goodness for Spence (laughs) there will always be more to learn Mm -hmm. right same thing with like sports or music there will always be someone better when it comes to you know other things outside of academics mm-hmm. At the end of the day I want them to be the kid that other people want to be around mm-hmm. and that they can say like wow he's just like a good kid and, and, and enjoyable and agreeable that doesn't mean I don't want them to have a voice and I don't right. want them but I think there's a difference between being a leader that can voice their opinions in a positive way and have others join in and see other people's perspective and 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 have that that point of view versus like a bossy and mm-hmm. someone who can't see someone else's perspective and leads in that way. Right. I someone w- who leads out of like fear. Sure. Like I want I want them to be kind and compassionate and empathetic and and see other people's point of view. And I just think it's like it's going to be helpful in school and in jobs and in life and in friendships and in relationships. Mm -hmm. So, yes, there will always be more things to learn. I genuinely think that this can change people's lives. Yeah, I, I don't know where we would be and I don't know what our life would look like if I didn't have the knowledge of emotional intelligence and knowing the importance of it starting at such a young age. I don't know what, where we would be and how our parenting and this journey would be or where, what it would look like without it. So for folks who don't know you, you guys snowbird. We do. So Brian works from home, my Mm -hmm. brother Brian and, and Logue as a stay at home parent to these two kiddos. And, uh, so they go, nobody wants to be in Syracuse, New York in the winter. <laughs> so true. you go south. It's a great place to live. And we love our community. We love our home. Like we love our friends and family. Mm-hmm. Most importantly, that's 
the number one thing. But yeah, those couple months in the winter are really <laughs> long and just snowy and cold. Um, so one day I said to Brian, wouldn't it be great if we could spend more time in Florida? And I'm not kidding. One month later, he had accepted a remote job and I was planning our first snowboarding trip and we've done it for three winters. You're with these kids all day, every day. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of joy that comes from that for you. So much. The most joy. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I remember I was nannying. I was a nanny for two kids. And I'd had just like one of those days where it felt like nonstop. Yeah. And I remember texting you in the middle of the day. It was like nap time and I'd got them down for a nap. <laughs> and I would say like largely I wasn't... And, and I don't, like, find myself, like, oh, I can't wait till nap time yeah. on most days. And this was one of those days where I was like, it couldn't come soon enough, <laughs> yeah. right? And we've all had those, yeah. And, and I got there, and I was like, oh, channel my inner Logan, right? Like, <laughs> what would Logan do? And so I just, and I, I couldn't. I couldn't find it. Within me. And so I texted you, and I was just like, oh, man, like, if I had one of these days, like, what? Tell me you've had this, right? Like, oh, tell me you've absolutely. been there. Absolutely. I'd be lying if I said, like, there weren't days when Brian was working when he wasn't remote. Being totally. like, when are you coming home? I can distinctly remember I was nursing Emerson standing up, changing Spencer's diaper because he had some bowel issues when it was, he was a baby, TMI. <laughs> but, like, there was no waiting. So, right. And I just, like, like, in the middle of doing both of that, I was calling Brian. <laughs> like, I know you're driving home, but, like, when? <laughs> Not soon enough. So, so yeah, all I, these I'm things human, I'm normal. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you keep your cool when, for me, I think of like those one-year-old years that I, I think are so formative and really lay the groundwork for success for twos and threes and fours, but they're hard, mm-hmm. right? Like you have kids who are... Like literally in danger all the time, it feels like, oh, learning to triage. walk. <laughs> Who's going to get hurt worse? Exactly. Yeah. And the they don't have the language that they want to have yet. Yeah. And, like, all these things. That like, there's a lot of frustration, a lot of tantrums. We're laying the foundation right now sure. for a lot oh, of yeah. this emotional intelligence. Yeah, that's big year. Right. And so, how do you keep your cool? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... I think it's different for everyone. I think what, for me, I never really wanted much time away from them. But with that being said, it didn't mean I didn't want a break. Mm. But for me, it wasn't really removing myself for a long time. It wasn't like, you get home and I'm going to leave the house. But some people need that. A lot of my girlfriends are like, I'll just go to Wegmans. Mm-hmm. Or So I think it's figuring out, like we figure out what makes the kids tick. It's figuring out what makes you tick in those moments that like to not let it escalate, but to figure out what works for you. And I think it's different for everyone, but you're asking like for me, so I, this may sound, I mean, for me, I had this notes section on my phone and I would have like little quotes, um, hug them a little more before they're not little anymore. And it was just like little reminders I had a, a picture of them saved when they were like babies. And even if they were five months old, I would still look at this picture and, and just say, okay, like it, it just, it would just give me enough clarity just to take a deep breath. Um, I would look at pictures of Emerson in NICU. Like, I know it sounds like crazy, but like, that's a, like 
just, that gives me so much perspective and so much gratefulness that that just in itself, like, mm-hmm. is, is helpful for me. Um, and I know that this, there was a picture of, I saw it on social media and it just had such like this, this feeling came over me. It was a dad, it was a military Mm -hmm. um, dad who was saying goodbye to his baby as he was being deployed. And I just thought to myself, people don't get the opportunity to spend time with their kids. Like I love Mm -hmm. being home and there's not a single day where I'm not grateful that I get to spend my time with them. So like I have my moments and I have Mm -hmm. the days, but I think um, just those little reminders, that's what I would just look at. Like even just for a minute, just take a break. Even if they were crying, like they were, they were fine. They were safe. Like mm-hmm. take a breather. Um, so for me, it wasn't a manicure. It wasn't, you know, wine at the end of the night. Like mine was ice cream, I guess. It's <laughs> so always like, been. That, that's always been my thing. <laughs> so I think look, looking forward to things like at the end of the day, um, it's perspective for you. It's so much perspective. Those, that, those reminders and that note that I saved, mm-hmm. those things just helped remind me that like time goes fast. I don't get these days back. Um, I don't. In the back of my head, I always thought that these might be my only kids. That they probably mm-hmm. were. So I think it was like I'm not gonna get this phase again. Like I don't get to snuggle babies again. Which like. And I could, I, if Maybe I wanted to. Maybe I'll have to, babies for you to come Then I'll snuggle. snuggle. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. And my sister just had a baby and she sends me pictures and I'm just like, I'm counting the days so I can snuggle her. She's yeah. so sweet. We never got to the point where we didn't think it was going to happen, but it took some time and some work. And right. You're also a glass half full girl. Yeah. Uh, I and, think and, it would take a long time for you to get to a place. Yeah. And, and I also think, and this is different, like I'm also a kid or a baby person. Right. Does that, like, so uh-huh. I think some people just need a break. And I, I agree with that. Do what's good for your well-being and your mental state. And if that mm-hmm. means like taking a weekend away or a night, like yeah. I'm all for whatever makes your emotional state you know, feel good because then that's calm for the family. I remember when the kids were little, like old infant, young toddler, and I always appreciated this about you, but we would be on the phone with each other and all of a sudden you'd be like, oh, gotta go. Because you have still engaged in life around you. It's, they haven't been it, like you've participated in life around, outside of them as well, but They've always been your focus. So if they were having a conflict or something, you would drop what you were doing or the conversation we were in to go lay that foundation. And I've Mm -hmm. always loved and respected that about you because I think sometimes a a lot of us just want to have the phone adult conversation for a second. Yeah, Yeah. who doesn't (laughs) want to just check out for a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. And But you saw value in pausing that to lay that foundation early on. I want to kind of dive into that, like what it looked like birth to two, Mm -hmm. because seeing your kids as three-year-olds, they were three, four, five-year-olds, are much different children than a lot of the children I think I come in contact with because they had this foundation so solid so early on. And I want to speak to like how you did that, how you built that. Well, I feel like that's like the biggest compliment you could like... (laughs) So thank you. Um, it absolutely like the phone conversations, the play dates, early on, um, 
and you are understanding of this. And I think everyone that I surrounded myself was as well. They get mm-hmm. it. Um, yes, they were my priority. And I knew that those conflicts could snowball in a way if I wasn't teaching them how to resolve those conflicts in those early years. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were plenty of playdates when they were one year old where like my girlfriend's I had a great group of stay-at-home moms that I met, and they had their like their first child, and um and th- th- we would be talking, and I just sometimes would just not be talking because I'd be in the other room because there were two of them, and um, or nursing one of them, or you know <laughs> what I mean. Like it was just a little bit busier, um, and they were very understanding just because that was important to me, like laying the foundation. And because there were two of them, it was just busy as far as tending to their needs. And mm-hmm. that was a, my, just my priority was helping to resolve those conflicts. Many times I hung up the phone like on my mom or <laughs> like she understood or she got it. But yeah, that was important for me to be present during that time. Um, starting with the, the emotional intelligence at birth, I mean, obviously they were young. So... I guess there was a two game changers as far as like young babies and their emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. You sent me an article and I read it. I shared it with Brian and it was 80% of brain development happens by age three and 90% by age five. And it was a game changer, like game on, like I have a lot to do in a little bit of time. Um, because I can make or break this in a way. Like mm-hmm. we can make life very smooth or s- as smooth as possible, or it can be more difficult. Like I was just, it was game on. Yeah. I think that that's so true. Like that sentence right there is so true and something that I would love to like put on billboards everywhere. Yeah. But it really doesn't have to be like this hard down no, the road. It doesn't. It doesn't. If you lay the foundation and for whatever age the kids are that people are listening to, mm-hmm. there's always something it's never you can too late. do. It's never too late, but it's never too early. Mm-hmm. I think some people would probably look at me crazy. I talked to them because at some point they were going to understand the words that I was saying and then those were going to be their words. Mm-hmm. So your that article was a game changer. And then the twins were, they were crawling. So it was like nine months old. And Emerson's playing with her one little toy. She just always had one. Spencer always had a bucket of toys. It's <laughs> just who they are. They're so different. Spencer crawls over, takes the toy right out of Emerson's hand. Mm-hmm. And it was like the first time, definitely not the last, but I was like, okay, here we go. Like, this is my life. I'm going to be a twin mom forever. And I love spending time with them. Like more than anything, I choose them, Mm -hmm. but I want this to go smoothly. So I went over and I was like, Spencer, that makes Emerson really sad when you take her toy. She was playing and she was so happy and I'm giving him happy faces. Mm -hmm. But when you take it, she's sad. How would you feel if I took your toy? At eight months old, no way are they understanding this. But I just continued to talk that way Mm -hmm. forever. Like, we still kind of talk that way because that's kindness. That's empathy. And they're not going to be empathetic unless we teach them and give them times to role play or times to be empathetic and have them watch 
us be empathetic. Kids are egocentric and the, the developmentally they should be, but I wanted to teach them right from the get go. They are going to be together forever. You know? So this is this, that was right there was a game changer. And I feel like that's, it just continued from that day on. Yeah. Um, well, and you, two things that I picked up from there, a, you were aware of their play, right? Mm-hmm. So even though you weren't right there playing with them, you were mindful of what they were doing so mm-hmm. that you could step in um, to model that and be your tone. And especially with our infants who don't understand those words yet, we sell it to them by really like letting our expression and our tone and our gestures model the words that are going hand in hand. You can sure. say all those words mm-hmm. with a different tone, with no gestures, with different facial expressions, and you'll all get a different response. Sure. Right? Like yeah. they they're like, oh <laughs> I get it. By yeah. what we're by how we're saying and not just what we're saying. Absolutely. And for those listening that like I was a teacher, but I was a like I did a lot of it in like third and fourth grade. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, oh well I can't do that, I'm not a teacher. Well, I wasn't a teacher <laughs> of babies either. Like this was just like what I learned and I picked up from you and other people and people around me, like I've mm-hmm. been surrounded by great role models and it has helped. Um, but yeah, that the identifying the emotions, I would say was pivotal in the newborn baby years is, oh, she's sad because you took her toy. Oh, Spencer, you're lonely because I went to get, you know, your sister up from a nap and you thought I was leaving you. Um, you also have to kind of be a little bit aware of like the developmental stages, like separation anxiety versus a tantrum. Like Mm. as he got older and I, and Emerson would be sad when I was leaving, she was also in that stage where she didn't realize I was coming back yet. Like Mm -hmm. that's a developmental stage. That's not a tantrum. So I had to be aware that this could be happening at the same time. And I would never be upset with her, but I would say, you know, Emerson, I'm going to go and get your brother. He's crying and he just woke up. Like, I'll be right back. I'm not leaving you for long. She didn't quite understand Mm -hmm. it, but it was those words, um, to make her feel, you know, secure that I would be coming back. So So you do it in the classroom when people leave for work and the kid starts to melt Mm -hmm. and we just want to soak them up and let them know, like, you're so sad. Mom's leaving for work and she's going to come back. Right? Like, but giving them that, like, security of, like, oh, you hear me. You know what I'm experiencing. Kids (laughs) just want to be listened to. Like, they want to know that you're listening and be understood. So Mm -hmm. before they... I still do. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Exactly. Sometimes I just want to hug and Brian for to say, I understand. You're tired. Yeah. But, um, no, but I would get... I would identify the emotions for them before they could. Like, Mm -hmm. um... We never use tired as an excuse. Um, I know that sometimes they were tired, but for us, it was like, I can understand that you're tired, but it's still not okay to whine. You can cuddle up on me, but that that whiny voice, my ears don't hear that. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know what it is. There's just certain things that, like, yes, kids are tired, but I just never think like that's a reason for them to act that way. Right. We need to adapt and, and Yeah, change. no, there's... I whining is a weird one for me Mm -hmm. that like it just it's harder for me to enjoy someone's company when they're whining right and I want to enjoy being around people adults kids whatever and I'm a people person and I genuinely love hanging out with kids 
And when they're whining, I honestly am not enjoying it in those moments. And so for me, it became important if I'm going to be around kids all day that I lay that expectation from the beginning that we're not going to talk through whining. I'm not going to problem solve through your whining. And that's something that you guys have done too. And I actually remember at one point we were on vacation or something and Emerson was using a whiny voice for something. And Brian just looked at her and said, has whining ever worked? Have we ever responded? And she was just like, no. And he was like, all right, I'm going to go. He was going into the kitchen for something. He's like, I'm going to go get a drink. And when I come back, we can talk about it. And so he like gave her that gift of space for a minute, mm-hmm. but first set that expectation of like, we're not doing this. We're not problem solving through the wine. So totally. pull it together, sister. Yep. I'll be right back. Times two. Like right. the whining, like times two. I was like, <laughs> this is not happening. <laughs> right. It's, I'm the same way with you. It's just, and so from the get go, like I just immediately would tell them when they started talking, like. I, I just can't understand you. My ears don't hear whining, but if you talk like this and you ask me mm-hmm. for water, I'll get you water. Right. But I just don't understand what you're saying when you're whining. And um, I know... And I, that carries I would, over. It totally carries over. And I would demonstrate all the time. Mm-hmm. I would say, if if I walked up to you and say, you know, I'm tired, and I would do like an exaggerated whiny voice. Yeah, just drives me nuts even just saying it like that. But <laughs> I would model it, and I like they would look at me like I had four heads, and they would see me whine in mm-hmm. a really exaggerated way. <laughs> but that got their attention, and that changed it. Like, oh my gosh, that is not fun to hear. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't like just whining doesn't cut it. You're right. not going to get what you want. Right. And, and like the same thing with Brian, like. I would tell him, this is what I did today. Like, these are the words that I said. So we kind of were on the same page. This is kind of a side note, but um, Brian and I have this saying that we say to them, mom and dad have the same answer. Mm. Because there's two of them and if there's one of them or five of them, it doesn't matter. You're not going to come to me and get a a different answer from dad. And if he's not sure, he'll check in with me because... I love that. That's not happening. So we just said mom and dad have the same answer. And after we said that enough times, they don't even ask the other one because we've always had the same answer. Mm-hmm. It just alleviates a lot of problems. I love that. Um, so when you check in with each other before responding to them on a big thing, right? Like yeah. if you were in the middle of something, I don't think I've ever seen Brian like step in and, and kind of try something different. Like he sure. would check in with you first yeah. to make sure you can then stay on the same page about something yeah and that's huge they get a consistent message about expectations it is it is we we clear expectations having things black and white were just is was very helpful for them and for us there wasn't a lot of gray area like if they weren't allowed to do something they weren't ever allowed to do it Mm. um give me an example sure um like oh like at the dinner table um we when we sat down and had dinner, we had it together as a family in their high chairs. Mm-hmm. When we were out at a restaurant, when we were at someone else's house, when we were at a picnic, we all sat down and had like a meal. It was mm-hmm. just like one of those things that we did. So like that they learned not only good table manners, but it's our time to check in as a family. Mm-hmm. So across the board, wherever we were, like we were going to have meal time and you were going to sit and we were going to eat together. I also had like expectations that were 
appropriate for their age. We're not going to sit down and have an hour-long four-course meal at age one. Right. <laughs> but, like, the expectation is clear. You're going to sit, we're going to eat our food, this is our food, and you're not getting food right after the meal because I'm not mm-hmm. cooking again. Right. Um, yeah, and it developed, like, just, like, manners that you would mm-hmm. do that. Like, I remember when they were young, starting when they were young, they would, like, thank whoever cooked. They yeah. would say, like, it, we'd be at my parents' house. Thank you, Grandma and Pa, for making this dinner. And they would clear their plate. They would just like things, which for me, it's not like laying those manners early is just a respect thing, right? They're learning the respect for the person who cooked for them. Yeah. The respect for the space of cleaning up after themselves. Yeah. Or even sitting at a meal and asking like, can you please pass me that? Yeah. Just the conversation, the language development. Yeah. Being grateful. Like that, that, that's Mm -hmm. just not an easy thing. And, but I'll also we're still working on this. Like I will say some of the things that have worked, but there are also millions of things that didn't work along the way, or I'm still teaching them. I'm, we definitely have our moments and we're working on things at all times. So it's not like picture perfect. Don't get me wrong. Right. Like, um, their cousins had come up for this week and spent a couple nights here. I went out to, to like a couple grocery stores to like get food for them. And then we had a barbecue for the 4th of July. All the family came. So I had to stop course at the wine and liquor store for a little bit, you know, right. so I'd gotten home and then I made them dinner and I served it. And Emerson said, mom, you put too much cheese on my, my pasta. And I said to her, Emerson, I just spent the last two hours grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. And then I came home and I cooked you dinner that I knew that you really liked. And the first thing you said to me was like a complaint and I said, so I'm I'm hearing you that that wasn't your favorite, but I want you to understand that that made me feel frustrated after all that time that I spent. And I do this because I love you and I care for you, but that makes me upset. And both my kids, they internalized that. And she gave mm-hmm. me a hug. She was, I'm sorry, mommy. And I said, I'm not upset. I said, but next time, maybe you might just say like, thank you for the dinner, mom. Like this looks good. And then say, can you scrape off some cheese? Mm-hmm. But just be mindful of what other people are going through and what I just did for you. So that's, that's awesome. just an, you know, an expectation or an example of something you're still building. We're still working <laughs> on. Yeah. Like, yeah. yes, they're grateful. Like, but it's not a hundred percent, you know, they're not batting a thousand by any means. They're kids and we're still learning. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean It's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot voices. Having Sage-approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system, and I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. 
I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, math, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Recently, we had some family visiting, and on our way to dinner, we popped on an episode of Mysteries About True Histories, math, with my niece and nephew in the car. In this episode, Max and Molly travel back in time to solve a mystery from the order of the problem solvers, along with lots of kid humor mixed in. It was a fun way to enjoy our car ride together and opened the door for some interesting conversation about history and understanding some of the mysteries of the past. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and mealtimes, and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. You guys use the phrase uh, that I'd never heard before that I love. Are you being grateful or greedy? Yeah. And I'm sure you had to teach them what those words meant first. Totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but they, I think we're all greedy a lot of the time, right? We're sure, like, yeah. ooh, that was great. I want more. <laughs> Ice cream this weekend. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I, but I think it's such, it, even as an adult, like I've heard you say it and I've had to like check myself, like, at other times, like, Liz, are you being grateful or greedy, right? Like, I love phrases where you can translate it to a lot of different instances. Like, are you grateful or greedy? Um, like, mom and dad have the same answer. Like, is this a problem that a five-year-old could solve? Like, mm-hmm. just things that can translate and they can internalize and do on their own without me stepping in. Because that's the end goal, right? Totally. Like, I'm not always going to be there. So I have to be mindful of the things that we say. I want the long-term goal is for them to internalize it truly feel kindness, empathy, Mm -hmm. all those things and and bring it and share it with the world. Not when I'm watching. Right. And that has been, there's been a couple instances lately where either parents have said things or I've noticed, or I've seen things when I'm not there or I've heard things and I'm like, okay, like we did it. Not for the long run. They're only five. Right. But like, but some of this is sticking. But when I was two and I thought about long-term goals, like my biggest example, like I know we were talking about babies, but I'll like jump ahead. Um, when they were babies in one and two and every age, like you want them to deal with like frustration and disappointment because that's going to happen at every age. So when frustration or disappointment comes in, when they were little, we always use the term go on to plan B. Like there's always, you can always make a plan B. We had a play date set for a playground and now it's rainy. Well, let's think of a plan B. What can we do instead? Oh, well, we can invite them to our house. We can go to a bounce house. We'll meet them at the library. Like in life, I can come up with plan Bs and I want Mm -hmm. them to come up with plan Bs on their own. It's okay to feel disappointed. I will tell them like, there's a switch inside of me. Like when I lose a game, Mm -hmm. because Spencer is more competitive than than Emerson, Mm -hmm. he naturally gets a little bit more upset. When he loses or happy when he wins. She's just very even keeled and it doesn't bother her. He's very expressive. He's so expressive. We say Spencer can, like, you can see his expression in his eyes. So true. So I tell him, like, Spencer, you're going to feel disappointed. Like, there's that switch in your belly that kind of just turns Mm -hmm. when you strike out or you lose a game or you don't get your way. That's disappointment. And you're going to feel it. You have felt it. But it's what you do with it afterwards that's important. You can say, 
man, that made me disappointed. You might not say that at the like home base when you strike out, you know what I right. mean? But I was like, it's okay to feel disappointed. It's not okay to throw your bat. It's not okay to like pout and stomp off. They just know that. Like it's, mm-hmm. and they don't. Like, right. I'm sure there will be times when they will at some point and they have little things, but that's a game changer. They know how to cope and deal with disappointment. Emerson just doesn't get affected by it. She just handles disappointment way easier than him. She's, she's an like, easygoing person. She's easygoing to a T. She's a people pleaser. She's like, oh, we we lost? Okay. We played okay. really good. Like, I loved their teal jerseys. Right. Like, she just finds, <laughs> like, she's okay with it. Spencer's like, yeah, but last game we we beat them three to two. This game we lost, like, five to one. That means we're not getting better. Like, he internalized it. It's a bigger deal. But this year they lost in playoffs and um, their baseball team. And to be honest, there was a little part of me that didn't want him to win the championship. I know mm-hmm. that sounds so weird, but I don't want him thinking that the expectation of these sports and every time you go to play, you're going to be on a winning team and you're going to win the championship. Right. Because that's not life. So after the game, my mom calls me. She wasn't able to come to the final game. And she goes, how did Spencer deal with it? And I said, great. He walked off the field and he was like, that was such a fun season. I can't wait to play again. And sometimes in life, you're just like, oh, we did it. Like that, what I've worked to build for years and I've dropped my phone calls and I've said no to like girls nights because I've been home with them or something. All that time was like a culmination, a small example of like, yeah. He's disappointed. He so badly wanted to win this, but he's okay with that disappointment and he handled it in an okay way. Well, it's huge, especially for uh, him in that scenario, like, because you know he's disappointed. He feels it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I really love Ticket to Ride and Spencer and I have played a billion games of Ticket to Ride and the first, he introduced me to the game. And he beat me, like, the first 30 games we ever played. And I was giving it my all. <laughs> me too. <laughs> and he beat me every time. And then it got to, now Now I can hang a little bit more. And I remember when I, like, beat him the first time. And he was just like, run it back. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, we can run it back. We'll play again. Yes. He was like, okay. And then we, at the end, like, when we decided we were done, we played enough rounds of ticket to ride for that morning sesh uh he was like all right you won three to two we'll see what happens later (laughs) that's right he has a stick-to-itiveness that emerson does not have she doesn't care and she's not going to follow up Mm -hmm. he is he's dedicated and he's driven and he has that stick-to-itiveness it's just another difference in their personalities and she's still like she still holds her own oh sure something happens i mean this morning when there was this, a conflict. It was her coming and saying, Spencer did this thing that made me feel sad. I love this, actually. She, so she walks up into the kitchen. We're hanging out. And she's like, Mom, Spencer just dumped my cereal into the big bowl, even though I asked him not to, and I feel sad. It was just, like, perfect. I was like, that's what we want kids to do, right? To know Absolutely. how they're feeling, what happened. Mm-hmm. And then you turned and you validated her feeling first. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, I would feel sad, too. Like, that's really frustrating. You asked him not to do it, and he did it anyway. And it, then you were like, have you talked to him? She was like, well, I tried. And then he went upstairs. So you were like, okay. Hmm. 
what do you think we could do next? And like encouraged her to keep problem solving, right? Yeah. Like she in her mind had done everything she thought she knew how to do at that point, And you pushed her to the next step of problem solving, which is awesome. And asked her like, how about you go talk to him again? And then if it doesn't come around, then I can step in and help you. Is this a problem a five-year-old could solve? And she went upstairs, and she, then she came back down. She was like, I talked to him, and we worked it out. <laughs> yep, and you're like, off awesome. they go. Yeah, that's But you goal. laid that groundwork for them. Right? Sure, yeah, that didn't happen overnight. Like we said, like when we started with babies, we like I gave them their I, emotion, and we identified it for them, being the end goal that they, we want them to identify totally. the emotion. Um, furthermore, like after that, you can't, feel compassion or empathy for somebody if you don't know how you feel and can't identify your own feelings. Mm -hmm. So it's like kind of a progression or a timeline. So when they were babies, we, just to simplify, like we identified their emotions and be like, you're sad because you, we, this is a big one. You're sad because we have to leave the playground and you're having a really good time. Mm -hmm. I gave you your five minutes and you got to play your last game and now it's time to go. You know, and we identified for them. Eventually, we want them to identify it themselves and have a coping mechanism. You know, look forward to something else. Remove yourself. If it's you're really upset, like Spencer likes to take space. He does not want to talk about it. We do what's called like a drive-through talk where we say like it's short and it's mm-hmm. abbreviated like kind of like when you're in the drive-through. Mm-hmm. It's like I can see you're sad. When you're ready to talk about it, come back to me. And that's what he needs. Emerson wants to talk about it right there. And you can tell she loves to hear stories like examples of like when that might have happened to me um one example was leaving places that you don't want to leave like Mm -hmm. your house in the morning a playground Mm -hmm. you know a birthday party something like that and it's simple to write you you can it can be something and I wrote one for Spencer it can be something like you know my name is Spencer. I'm a terrible drawer, but I would draw Spencer and label him. And, um, you know, I love the playground. Some days I don't want to leave. When my mom says five minutes, I know it's almost time. I feel sad when I have to leave. It's okay to say I feel sad, but it's not okay to whine. You can look forward to something in the car mm-hmm. or you can look forward to coming back to the playground. But it just, I would read it before we went to the playground on days when we wouldn't go to the playground. Or, and then I would also maybe broaden the horizons of like, I don't like it when I have to leave fun places or, mm-hmm. you know, to make it more broad. But it, it takes them out of it. It's a reminder. It gives them words and verbiage. It attaches a feeling to it. And it's an easy way to get through like a certain behavior that you're working on. Yeah, and, it's and when they're not one. feeling the emotion. Yeah, they're not. It's not heightened. It's not mm-hmm. escalated. It's just like a little pre-teaching or yeah. a recap. And so like I've done a lot of social stories that I didn't even write. Like, like oh sure, it's nice to have them that are tangible too. If it's especially something you're working on consistently, mm-hmm. but we've done it where like, yeah, we just tell a story. Absolutely, and yes. it's a consistent message mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It helps them. Spencer was one of those kids that could go to anybody and didn't have separation anxiety. Mm-hmm. And when I left, he was like, bye, mom. I love you. I know you're coming back. With Emerson, yes, she's innately like a caregiver. But with her, she had a harder time. This was what we had to work through in a different parenting, um, you know, bump, I guess, that we had to really figure out was she had a hard time leaving me. Mm-hmm. And this is something that, we had to like, okay, I, I would 
prep her that day. You know, mommy's going out to dinner with daddy on her anniversary. We learned quickly that didn't work. Like she was like <laughs> sad all day. We didn't ever sneak out the door. That just, that didn't work either. Over time, it just became one of those things. We don't leave them a lot. Like I said, I choose to be with them, but we still like to have a little bit of a social life and friends and family are important to us. And Friday night, you know, <laughs> we, we do go to concerts or date nights or whatever, but she's had to learn like that she is safe. She's loved. Our bedtime routines and rituals are such that she tells Mimi and Poppy or Grammy and Pa what to do. Like they right. had, because they've done it for so long and it's very clear. In that we always come home and we rock her when we get home. And it took some practice and some time and some learning and trial and error on my part. But that was a difference of something that I had to work through with like a social story with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I would make up stories about when my mom and dad left for a date night, which I don't remember, but in her eyes, it helped her know that I got through this mm-hmm. and that Mimi and Poppy went on date nights um, to the Beef and Barrel and Olean, which maybe they did or not. I don't know. But like taking her, her out of the situation helped with the social story. Me yeah. putting you know, making a story about myself, I turned out okay. Right. Mimi and Poppy came back. And all of those things I learned along the way that she's had to work through. And it's still not easy, but it's not like a meltdown or a tantrum. Mm-hmm. It's just like, mommy, I feel sad when you leave. I miss when you don't get to rock me and sing me to sleep. And you're you like, know, well, there goes my broken heart. Like, right. I, I, don't, really, I don't really need that day night. I don't like, <laughs> like, or, like, or sometimes we'll go out after bedtime. Like, that's fine too. Like, we're home by 10. It's fine. Um, but that's something we worked through in, but now she's confident and comfortable in that situation. Um, Did they ever scream and shout? So that was a question that someone asked me, like on Facebook, like I do share a lot on social media. Mm -hmm. Then someone from my Moms of Multiples group messaged me and said, like, don't they ever fight? And this is a true response and anyone that knows us and spends time with us is they will disagree. Absolutely. They don't just, they have their own voice, which is good. I want them to have their own voice and opinions and thoughts and feelings. But we have taught them over the years that shouting and yelling doesn't get us anywhere. Emerson was never allowed to begin with, so that wasn't in her nature. Mm-hmm. Spencer sometimes would when he was little, probably like one, like late ones, early twos. Like he might be a little more vocal if he didn't get his way. But we quickly turned around. Spencer, that isn't working. You're not going to get more time on the playground by shouting. And we held our ground. There wasn't gray. By you shouting, you're not going to get your five more minutes. It will never work. I think you guys have held boundaries in general so well. That has helped. There's not a lot of gray. Like when we make a decision, we make it and very, very rarely do we ever back up. Like again, when, you know, if they say, can we have dessert or something, I'll say, no, it's not our normal routine. You know, when we're at birthday parties or things like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you absolutely can. But by you asking a second time, like you're not getting it, they know, no. Um, When it's time to leave and I've given them their, I always give them a warning, like a five Mm -hmm. minute, you know, let's wrap things up. And at the end of that, when it's time to go, never once have I said like, okay, you can have five more minutes. At the end of that five minutes, we don't say, oh, sure, by you asking for more and whining, I'm going to give you five more right. minutes. That's gray. And then the next time they're going to expect that when they whine, they get what they want. And right. that just doesn't work. For me, rules 
make kids feel safe. 100%. It absolves them of the responsibility of taking care of themselves in that, like, they know at the end of the day, our job is to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. And they'll say that. I asked your yes. kids in the interview. Yes. A lot of spoiler alerts here, but <laughs> I I asked them, why do mom and dad set rules? Why do they have rules in the house? And Spencer said, because they want us to be safe. And it's and it's true. Like, mm-hmm. that is why we set rules. And it's how it makes them feel, right? It lets them know, oh, I can take a risk. Because if this risk was too bad, if it was too much of a risk, someone would stop me. Yeah. They wouldn't let me run into the street because that's a rule to keep me safe. Yeah. But I can play in the front yard. Absolutely. There's a time and a place for everything. And I tell them, like, I'm not a fun buster. Right. And I say that a lot. Like, I don't I want you to have fun and I'm usually the one joining in on the fun. Mm-hmm. Like I'm out in the backyard playing with them. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a fun buster, but my job is to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. When we are in a parking lot, we hold hands because you may be watching, but other people aren't. So they know. Mm-hmm. And we talk about it. But but you know what? When we get to the playground and we're out of the parking lot, yes, run to the playground. Totally. Yes, climb. Like, absolutely. That's what it's there for. But um, even rules around the house, right? Like, yeah. that, it just helps them feel safe. It does. Yeah. And it, it takes so much off their plate if they don't have to call the shots all the time. They know. Yes, I can do this. No, I can't. They don't have to ask mm-hmm. or wonder or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes when they're young, I would say, I think you know the answer. Mm-hmm. And they would, you know what I mean? And they would, and then the next time they might not ask, like, I already know this one. Yep. And I, in my classroom with like younger kids, I would get kids around like one and two who they would start to do something that they know they shouldn't do. Like yeah. they have a sink that's like kid level. And they love to play in the sink. And it was just a hard no for us. We have a water table. You can play in the water. Yep. The sink is not a tool to play with. Also, it's porcelain. And I had kids, like, learning to walk. So I was, oh, I was scared of the sink and the kids oh, eating Oh, I remember it. those days. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Just the, like, like, 13 months. Yeah. Oh, I remember like, a permanent. <laughs> permanent. Who's <laughs> that? Yeah. Um, but so it was just, like, a hard no. We can't play in the sink. We wash hands in the sink and then we leave. Yeah. And... I can picture right now kids like slinking over towards the sink and I would just have to look at them. Mm-hmm. And instead, what I realized a lot of the time is that like I found myself being like, the sink is not for playing, we could whatever. And they would still do it over and over. And so I was like, okay, if I'm responding the same way over and over and it's not working, I need to change how I am responding because clearly this isn't working. Yeah, <laughs> And... So we we actually had like a team meeting where I was like, I got to talk this through. Like I need some other thoughts. And my teaching team was like, all right, what are they looking for? Like why yeah. are they going over there? Mm-hmm. And we chatted about that and I was like, you're right. Like they're looking for attention. They're looking for something. And so I just started being mindful of like when they were doing it. And sure enough, it was like when I was busting out diapers and I'm not there to play or mm-hmm. whatever. And so then I would turn to them and say, I see that you're going towards the sink. I'm going to do two more diapers and then I'm going to come play. Yeah. Why don't you go find a toy for us to play with and I'll come play with you. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, okay, like this, that's what they were looking for. They wanted my attention. They wanted me sure. to come play. And they knew that would get my attention. Yeah. And so sometimes I think like when we set the rules and we're like, but they keep breaking them. 
why, <laughs> it's looking at that why and figuring out what are they really asking. Yeah. Because if we continue to respond the same way and they keep breaking the rule, right. then it's our job to have a different response. Sure. We've, over the years, we've worked on, like, yelling stop doesn't mm. work. Um, first, it... it irritates the other person you're yelling at and it raises their, it kind of escalates them in a way. Right. It's not nice to hear and stop what? So over time, like I've had to model, there's, we, we model, we explain, we get down to their level and we say like, Emerson, I, I see you didn't like it when Spencer just sprayed you with the, the water squirter in the pool. Like that would bother me too. It's uncomfortable to get water squirted in my face. But when you yell stop, that's not going to get you what you want. You need to tell him, Spencer, I don't like it when you squirt water in my face. Mm-hmm. And that just de-escalates the situation. Spencer can then stop exactly that behavior he's doing. Um, my girlfriend taught me this one that she uses. She's a school counselor and she's awesome. And she says she uses, um, it's called a bug and a wish. It bugs me when I wish you would. Which we haven't used it yet because we already have our own verbiage. Like, yeah, I, I don't like, like that. it. But it's just an easier. I think it's almost like a little bit more for younger kids. Mm-hmm. Easy to remember. Mm-hmm. It bugs me when you squirt me with water. I wish you would squirt the trees instead. Mm-hmm. Give them an- a lot of it is giving them another option, totally. something else to do. I was gonna say we tell kids a lot like what they can't do. Absolutely, and just giving them the here's I. In the playground example, I hear that you don't want to go. Mm-hmm. You are having a lot of fun playing. Then coming up with what they can do. Like, maybe tomorrow we could come back. We can brainstorm something else, right? Like, yes. not just, well, you can't have your way. Here you go. Yes. <laughs> like, brainstorming that plan B you brought up. Plan B. We are, we're all about the plan B. It works in so many different occasions. Plan B is like, so we've we've done the playground thing, and I can see that you're sad but here's something else that you can do. You can look forward to reading a book in the car. Would you like me to tell you a story? Mm. I love storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, we use it. I'm not a big distractor. Like, I think you need to deal with the situation. Like, when mm-hmm. when he is sad that he's leaving the playground, I don't like to scoop him up, make him laugh, giggle, and then move on. Some parents do that, and that's great. For me, it almost like it doesn't validate how he's feeling. It just kind of dismisses it, and then that feeling is going to come up again the next time. So right. for me, I like to handle it, have a quick discussion. It's not 20 minutes. It's like, I'm sorry you're sad. I like to stay places too, but now it's time to move on. We have to get home for lunch, mm-hmm. and then let's look forward to doing something else in the car. So distracting is not my favorite tool. I'm not a distractor. I'm like, get to the bottom of this. So this doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I tell stories like once we get to the car and that, that feeling has been validated and we've moved through that feeling, then I tell stories like nobody's business. I just always did. There was one time I will say I would distract, but this isn't in like a it was when they were doing like their sunscreen. They never loved it as right. kids, it, but it was something we had to do every day for two kids. Right. And I would just tell them, okay, what story do you want today? Like I, when they were little, they would get to pick the characters, whether it was Dora mm-hmm. or Mickey. And we would do our sunscreen out the door and I would tell them a Mickey Mouse story. Right. That's not distracting. That's just like making it fun, making it fun. <laughs> yeah. This is something we have to do. Mm-hmm. We're going to, we're going to make it fun. Actually the sunblock, I, there's like a thing that stands out for me. That was like a parenting moment where, 
I, it's always those bigger moments. I feel like you learn so much from Mm -hmm. watching other people and we were on vacation and we're all hanging out. We were watching the world cup actually. So it must've been like four years ago. So it would have been like two. Yeah. And we were like getting sunscreen on to go to the beach and Spencer did not like to get his sunscreen on, but the poor kid got black skin and (laughs) we're like white or red. (laughs) Yep. And, uh, he, like, you had set the sunscreen, like, down, like, you had squirted some in your hands, you set it down, and then he took it and he threw it in the living room. And I'd never seen him do anything like this before. Sure. You have sunscreen in your hand, and you just scooped him up, and you walked downstairs to, the to like, your room, and then when you came back up, he walked over, and he grabbed the sunscreen, and he brought it back, and he sat there, and he watched soccer while you put sunscreen on him. I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to find out what happened there. Like, <laughs> and I, I asked you about it later, and I was just like, what? Like, what? First of all, I loved that you removed him from the situation because we have a huge family, and I think for a lot of kids, like, there's a lot of shame that then comes afterwards. Like, they know sure. they did something wrong, mm-hmm. and we as adults, by bringing it up in a big group scenario, can, like, shame them. Sure. So I like that you scooped him away, right? And... um to have this conversation like in private with him and you were like oh, I just told him like if you want to go to the beach you need to put sunscreen on mm-hmm. throwing that sunscreen is never a choice I now refer to it as shutting it down hard <laughs> but you did you just shut it down hard if like this just isn't a choice we're not going to throw it that's not a safe choice we're going to go back up there and put the sunscreen on and you can walk over and grab the sunscreen, or I can grab the sunscreen, but if we're going to the beach, mm-hmm. we're going to put it on. Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> it. It's no wishy-washy. Yeah. If you'll get a treat if you do this. There's sure. no, like, no, this is just what we're doing. This is the expectation. Yeah. Clear expectations through and through. Yeah. Huge game changer. But I think it's important to note, like, it's not like they never push boundaries. It's how you respond when they do. Absolutely. They, yeah, by no means, I hope I don't, I'm not coming across my stories as, or like the examples. I, they're, they're, they definitely push boundaries and Spencer way more than Emerson. She was just always more easygoing, but he would push the boundaries a little bit more, but it never got him anywhere. And he quickly learned that whining or throwing a sunblock is is not acceptable and it will never get you what you want. If anything, it's going to make you miss out on things. And there was one example, he was two and he was super into Legos. Mm. Um, So almost three. And there was a Lego activity at the library and we were all planning on going that night. And he just had a rough day. And as far as pushing the limits. I guess it was, I think it was the, the, the whining and, and I, I gave him his chances and I said, Spencer, if this happens again, I'm going to have to keep you home from the library because it's, it makes me feel frustrated. I, I don't think it's appropriate. You know, um, in this house, when we whine, we don't get our way. Well, he did it again. He didn't go to the library in our, for us and our family, we don't, put out these overlying, like, well, I'm going to leave you here. Like things that will never happen or like mm-hmm. you're like not empty promises. Empty promises. Thank yeah. you. That's what I was looking for. But I knew if he wasn't going to turn it around, that's something he was going to miss out on. And he was extremely disappointed, but I'll tell you what, that behavior changed. And it wasn't, I didn't, 
take him out of a birthday party or an amusement mm-hmm. park. But but it was something fun that he was looking forward to. And if you don't follow these expectations that are reasonable, you're not going to get to do these fun things. And then it was a teachable moment down the road. We would reflect back. And like if he started to whine, we would say, Spencer, remember how you felt when you missed out on the Lego night? I don't want this to turn into another one of those days. So yeah, they definitely had those moments and pushed boundaries. But we had to figure out ways, coping strategies when things mm-hmm. didn't go their way, social stories. Um, I think the coping strategies is huge. And we had to deal with different coping strategies right. with the two kids. I mean, we have to parent them very differently. Spencer took some... I'll bring up Spencer's name more because I just feel like we had to work harder mm. to mold him. Emerson just came way more agreeable and easygoing and when... Things didn't go her way. She just didn't get as upset. Mm-hmm. She went on to plan B much right. easier. But She's we still had to. She's like a very empathetic person. She's very empathetic. She's like a mother hen. She, Emerson's right. very caring. And like mm-hmm. she can read people very well and know what you need and, and change the way that she's behaving based on that. Like mm-hmm. if she sees kids left out, she's going to bring them over and play with them. Mm-hmm. It's a natural It's part natural. Of yeah. It came very easy for her. Spencer had to be definitely taught and, yeah. and molded and role-played and, and modeled that, but he now he is. But mm-hmm. when people talk about, you know, people say, I have a strong-willed child mm-hmm. or a stubborn child, I will say neither of my kids are strong-willed or stubborn, but Spencer could have gone down more that route. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Totally. Do you agree? Yeah. I think he does have strong opinions. I think oftentimes when we say that a child is strong-willed, I think what we're trying to say is like, that they, I, I think it has a negative connotation often. Sure. And that what we're saying is that, like, they're very opinionated and they're not flexible. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think Spencer kind of started out less flexible than Emerson. Like, yeah. as a person, he needed to understand for himself, like, I, and I think just from watching him, that he now, in his mind, has, like, plan A, B, C, D, right? Like, he knows... Structure, routine, Totally. But he has built that in his own mind of, like, all right, if it doesn't go this way, it could go this way. Whereas she doesn't need to build that in her mind because Mm -hmm. she can naturally just kind of, like, go with it in a different way. Yeah. But you guys created this space where he can still... I think he does have strong opinions and he will make his voice heard, right? Like, he, mm-hmm. you, you know how he feels about something. You know if he doesn't want to go somewhere or he doesn't want to do something. Also, he wears his emotions on his face, so it's hard <laughs> to hide. Um, but you can, like, see his face change. And I think a lot of kids at that point may have thrown a tantrum or may sure. have yelled out, and mm-hmm. he has developed the coping skills there yes. to, like, cope with that feeling and know how to communicate about it to problem solve. That's exactly what it was. Yes. You, you've you been there this whole journey. Like, you talk about learning from me. I've learned just as much from you. <laughs> and, you, you know, through your Takes experience. Takes a village looks. That's right. That's right. We say it all the time. Um, but that's, that's him summed up. Like, it took time and practice and, and figuring out what made him tick mm-hmm. to be able to cope with those um, disappointments. Right. The, well, the changes. Knowing, like... It's easier to know what to do when you feel happy or excited or whatever. That's easy. But knowing like, oh, I'm having this hard feeling. Mm -hmm. And instead of yelling or hitting or throwing a tantrum, 
what else can I do to help my body feel calm so that we can talk about it? Sure. And parents might want to know, like, what else can I do mm-hmm. when this disappointment comes? Mm-hmm. And for, for Spencer, his is to take space and to remove himself from the situation. It automatically calms him down. He doesn't do it in a stomp, pout way. Mm-hmm. He knows through practice over yeah, time. Yeah, how'd you build that? So over time, I've had to, like, learn trial and error a lot. Like, mm-hmm. Talking with him right in that moment mm-hmm. escalated him and it got him more frustrated. So we always will talk about it or recap at some point. But first I'll say, Spencer, I can see that you're frustrated and you're, or you're disappointed because of this. How about you do what you you need for your body and then come back to me when you're ready. And that has evolved over time. Mm-hmm. We do a little breathing. We do call it, we just call it one, two, three, three, two, one. And we breathe in for three. Then he counts in his head and he, he breathes out for three. And that just deep breathing mm-hmm. kind of just is like a little reset for him. And that's something you can do at any point in time. Mm-hmm. You know, adults, we need yeah. to take a break. Sometimes even I'll just like, if I have a kid who's on me, who's kind of losing their mind, mm-hmm. I will just be mindful of my own breath. I won't even ask them to necessarily do it. I will just like take audible big breaths. Absolutely. Right? I yeah. think of it as like a laboring mom, right? That like <laughs> if you set that tone, mm-hmm. they can follow suit and kind of join you in that breath, right? Yep. It's it's a modeling so much modeling and I would do that and I would model when I got frustrated and mm-hmm. I would have to I think um I was listening to a a podcast and they were talking about how par- kids see parents in conflict mm. but they don't see the resolution and I'm just going to give a plug this is the armchair expert podcast yes. which I talk about a lot on here mm-hmm. it was she Obsessed. she recommended it one this <laughs> this was a really good one and but it, it it clicked for me because they were like that they don't always see parents then resolve the conflict they mm-hmm. wait till they go to bed and and I think sometimes they need to see ways that we resolve conflict or that way, ways that we deal with disappointment mm-hmm. and so it's me modeling deep breathing um me modeling like man I'm frustrated like we were gonna have our whole family here for a, a barbecue and it's raining now and we had decorated the outside and we had food all ready to go outside and we have to bring it in now and it's a lot more work and you know seeing Mm -hmm. me work through the process of coping with emotions and talking through it has helped a lot yeah developing our own emotional intelligence and self-awareness they have made me way more in touch with my feelings and the way that Mm -hmm. I deal with things the way that I talk to Brian and, and react to things I think for our kids, we always want them to be a better version of ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. I I didn't have these tools or all of them growing up. I wasn't, right. I think you just always wish for a little bit more than, than wh- what I was or, you know, a better yeah. version. Yeah. And what I learned as an adult now wanting to pass them on. So to make things smoother and I realized right. that conflict is going to happen at any age. So let's teach them how to deal with it at a young age. Um, happens forever because it's going to keep happening and it doesn't have to escalate into a major issue if you totally are problem solvers totally but yeah no i think i that's right i like how you touched on the fact that they are different learners they're different learners she in there as a whole they're both just like sweet and fun and happy kids but like like i said he's has had we've had to work Mm-hmm. harder it, it came more naturally as far as like the empathy goes 
Yeah. Um, I asked he's there. him, I, I interviewed them. It'll mm-hmm. air next week, but uh, I asked them what they do if they're feeling sad or disappointed, they're having a hard feeling. What do they do to help their bodies feel calm? And uh, they, they both answered it, and then I gave them a scenario where they might be disappointed or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, Spencer's was a baseball scenario where he like lost the game and and I put it on him right that like it's um, it's the last out and he's at bat and he strikes out and just like carrying that weight and I was like yeah what what would you do how would you help your body feel happy again when you're feeling really sad and disappointed mm-hmm. he was like he really thought about it and you yeah. could just like see him like processing it and he was like well, then, like, next time I get to do it again and next time I could try and win, right? Like, sure. I was like yeah. yeah. So in his mind, what I got from that was, like, he knows I'm not always going to feel like this. It's clouds in the sky. This yes. is where I am right now. Mm-hmm. And I get to try again next time. Yeah. This isn't the end-all, be-all. Yeah. And I was like, that is perfect. <laughs> That's, like, our goal. Like, all those times when they were one and they couldn't identify those emotions. And, and you're working towards things like that where they can then feel and do and be that on their own and to work Mm -hmm. through it and yeah those are the proud mom moments like I tell them before every game the car is like a great place if Mm -hmm. people listening like we always like pre-teach going into every situation and it can be like a quick thing like before preschool we'd always ask like how can you be kinder than necessary today Mm-hmm. And that just gets them thinking and in the mindset of I'm going into preschool going, going to be kinder than necessary. Then sometimes we they'd leave and we do like a recap after in the car ride after we were somewhere. And I would say like, how did you make someone smile? Did you have to, you know, problem solve with anyone today? That's what's important mm-hmm. to me. So if any like fast tips out there, just pre-teach something going into a situation. If it was difficult last time, like if you have an, an infant... Spencer always loved the shaky eggs at the library, and there was only so many shaky eggs. (laughs) And I would say last week it was really tough when, like, Luke had the shaky egg. What could you do this week? And he would say, I'll be next. Mm -hmm. Find the tambourine. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Over time, I gave him those examples, and then he came up with those examples. And then when he does it on his own, you know, we know he internalized that. So that's, like, the pre-teaching in the car and then the recap. And going back to the baseball thing, like after, before the game, I always say, I'm going to love you no matter what. If you don't hit the ball today, I'm going to hug you after the game. You know what I mean? But if you like shake the other hands, shake, give high fives to the other team, do things like that. That's when I'm most proud of you. And we recap in that in the car and I'll say, I was really proud when, you know, you struck out and you, you held your head high and you walked back to the bench and you were okay with it. Yeah. Or I was really proud of you when Charlie got his first run of the season and like the last game and you got off the bench and you like gave him a high five because you knew he was excited and you were excited with him like that was just a recap and it's like you know a little bit to let him know that we're proud of him and I tell them all the great things that they're doing yeah you're awesome at words of affirmation <laughs> and just like giving them that feedback I think you know we often talk to kids around conflict but you'll you do a good job of just building it in yesterday we were in the car and you got a phone call and you had just picked me up and the kids were excited to like talk to me and I was excited to talk to them. And then you got a call that you very rarely have to take and you had to take it. And we were all quiet while you took the call. And afterwards, the very first thing you did 
was turn and say to them, like, thank you so much for being quiet. I'm so proud of you. I know that you were excited to talk to Annalisa and I had to take this phone call. Like, thank you. You acknowledged that. You gave them that positive feedback. Mm -hmm. And I think that those little things go so far. So far. It's, It's all like little investments in time. Like every little, think of it as like a bank and every investment that you make just builds up over time. And the earlier you start, the more it's going to compound. And it makes life so much better and easier when you invest in these times starting at such a young age. Yeah. Who doesn't want words of affirmation? I, was say, I still, from my husband, right? Absolutely. If I do something around the house, yeah. I want you to notice. Totally. I washed the dishes. Absolutely. Who doesn't want that? And that, they all have different love languages and stuff, but words of affirmation across the board, who doesn't want that? Mm-hmm. And for them, this is like a little quick, easy thing that parents can do at any age. I write them a note every night mm-hmm. and I slip it underneath their door. So when they were younger, I would read it to them and, you know, then they read it themselves. I think it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like I'll say, Emerson, you are so sweet and you are patient. And when I keep telling them that I'm proud of them for these reasons, they're going to want to keep doing those things like being compassionate, empathetic people. And every night before we go to bed, I list the reasons I love them. And I think it just... Like as a part of your bedtime routine? Every night. I love that. Um, We sing our songs and we do that, but I'll say like, I love you because... And so much of it is because you're compassionate and you're kind and you are loving and you show your love with hugs or notes. And today when I was you know, carrying groceries and you came out and helped me and it makes me feel good. You know, we talk about like, but I bring it up and I say how important it is mm-hmm. because that's what I want them to be Right. in the long run is compassionate, kind, helpful problem solvers. And what they consistently hear from you then in the messaging isn't like, you were the best at this thing or yeah. in sports or in school or whatever it is, or you could read this many words or you could do yeah. whatever the message they consistently hear from you is that you're most proud of them for being kind, empathetic, loving humans. Even when you just like, when you validate them and you show them that you are paying attention to them, those examples are often when they're doing kind, nice things. Yeah. Right? It's not like, wow, I saw that you hit the most home runs you've ever hit. It's, wow, I saw that you did X, Y, and Z that was a nice thing for someone else, right? Like focusing on not like the finished product of, but rather like the process, right? Like how'd you get there? Yeah. If you were a kind human getting there, that means so much more than if you cheated and you got there Yeah. or you whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That relates to like... you would give me articles and I would, you know, say like, this is kind of what I'm noticing. Can you send me some articles or some books to read? And you were so helpful with that. With, with that. And I, one of the articles um, I, I found was a Harvard study and it was a 75 year study. And what they looked at is overall happiness. Like mm-hmm. what, how are, and why are people happy? And it came down to that good relationships keep us happier and healthier and it's the quality of close relationships um, that matter, and it's not—it's not money, it's not accolades, it's not material things. Like it's the relationships that you have with your family and friends. 
and to get those relationships to a to a strong positive relationship you have you have to know your emotions and you have to know like how to be a kind compassionate empathetic person to build those relationships so like that's our goal you know at the end of the day we want them to to be happy but now it's like that happiness so much relies on your connection to other people and you need to be able to relate to them and be kind to them Mm -hmm. they're not going to be friends with you if you're not right you also can't be happy if you can't process the sad the frustration the mad whatever good point yeah it's not all rainbows exactly and like if you're going to get mad and you're going to be stuck in that place of mad Mm -hmm. then it's hard to get back to happiness like the uh, the number one thing I want for kids is to learn how to process their emotions so that they can work through the hard stuff and get back to happy. That's in and, and that's at every age. So yeah. we we have used this phrase, we say um feelings are like clouds. And we use we've used this for years because it's it's true. If feelings they come and they go. Right now the feeling you're feeling is frustrated. Mm-hmm. But that frustration isn't going to last whether you miss a goal in soccer you're quickly going to get out on that field and you're going to play again or you're frustrated because um you know you expected your cousins to come and they had a a change of plans Mm -hmm. that feeling is like a cloud it's going to come and go and I can see that you're feeling this right now but you're not always going to feel frustrated and that has helpful I feel like they're confident to have a feeling identify the feeling work through and process it and then move on to Mm -hmm. like a plan B or to work through that feeling and make themselves, they don't have to be happy again. I don't expect them to be on cloud nine, but to work through it in a way that they're, they're able to move on and process that emotion. You just went exactly through the set method, Logue. It's like we've been talking (laughs) through this for years or something. Yeah. What we do is like when you summarize it, that's, we have to do that as adults and mm-hmm. they need to be taught this. Right. And it takes a lot of steps and this is what we're talking about today, but yeah. that's the goal. And if you don't, so we have like a five step emotion processing development scale. Mm-hmm. And the third one is security in your feelings, which is exactly what you were saying that, you know, I'm not going to feel like this forever. So it's safe for me to feel this now. Mm-hmm. I don't have to run away from this feeling because I know I'm not going to be stuck here. Yeah. And when we don't have that security, that's where down the road we see things like anxiety or depression or you're, re- you're stuck there and you don't know how to get out. Sure. And so knowing that you have that security in your feelings and then the one immediately after that is coping. So like, okay, here I am. I'm not scared of it. I'm ready to do this. Now how do I help myself cope through it? Mm-hmm. Right? And then we can move on. Then we can solve the problem. But you can't solve the problem when you're still disappointed or sad or mad or frustrated. Yeah. We've got to work through the emotion first. And those are the tools that you gave them so young. Like you you let them feel it and you identified it. But then you encouraged them with coping strategies. Would you like a hug? Mm-hmm. Would you like some space? Yeah. Letting Spencer have that space. My husband just did it for me the other day. I was telling you this story, but I was like, I was mad and I was just trying to solve the problem when I was still mad and I was just trying to whatever, like, and I, I wouldn't have had a great evening, even though I'd been looking forward to this evening Mm -hmm. and our plans, I wouldn't have been able to get there if he didn't 
give me the gift of space and encourage me to take it so that I could process and then we could actually solve the problem and move on. He's so much smarter than I am. (laughs) So grateful for him. We married some good guys. Yeah, we did. But But it's so important. And that's what you've given them. And that's what I think, like, now when we see these huge tantrums or um, the the yelling from kid to adult or whatever it is, the Mm -hmm. whining, the rude behavior, the boundary pushing that um, results in these giant meltdowns, it's when we are having these hard feelings, when the kids are having these hard feelings and they can't move out of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And those are gifts that you've given your kids. And it's been amazing to watch. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Thank you. Well, you, you've been a part of it. You didn't get to watch. You were right there in, on the playing field with us. Magda Gerber says, let's raise kids that we want to be around. And that's what you've done. I love it. And you can cry again. <laughs> I do. That's that's the goal, and that's. I feel like we've. They have a long way to go, but we set a good foundation. I think like the biggest takeaway for me here is that like it starts so young, right? Like it started. I look at like two year olds in my classroom who. My goal. I was building their like secure attachments and identifying their feelings and emotions with vocabulary so they could start to hear that they weren't yet turning to me and saying I feel sad right like yes that takes a long time of us modeling we don't read to infants expecting them to read back to us we say these things over and over so that they can gain this over time Mm -hmm. Uh, but then I was able to look at my two-year-olds and say can you listen to your tone 
and they could pay attention to that and they could Mm -hmm. they would start to then rephrase how they said something or ask it in a question instead of a demand i need water could turn into can i please have water and i I think it really comes back to expectation and knowing what we can expect from these tiny humans at, at given ages yeah i it, it literally is a game changer it's, it's a game changer it it makes our lives like the investment in time mm-hmm. those small deposits on a daily hourly basis mm-hmm. by being mindful and present to and always thinking about this in the back of our mind and in the forefront of our mind and that over time has built this life where we I, they feel confident in all different areas. Like mm-hmm. they are such well-adjusted kids. They're confident to go into a new situation where they might not know somebody. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. They still feel nervous, but they can talk about those nerves beforehand. And we pre-teach going into it. Like, yes, you are going to be going into a sport where you don't know a single person and you don't know the coaches, but what can you do if you need help or you don't understand mm-hmm. and try to smooth the path for them a little bit and give them some tools that when they get in those situations, they know what to do. And it's not so uncomfortable that they crawl into a shell or cry or act out, but they're willing to take risks, I guess, Mm -hmm. in a positive way because they are well-adjusted, I guess. Yeah, they're confident. And then they also, I've seen this from them in in, in my interview with them, like I heard this in their answers too, that not only are they confident in going to those situations, but if they're in a situation where they feel comfortable, they're confident bringing the new people in, right? Sure. Yeah. And like yeah. welcoming them in. Yeah. I, I think more so Emerson than Spencer. Mm-hmm. I can see her. She's the mother hen in, in noticing kids that might feel left out. I can mm-hmm. see that. But he's Spencer come along. Gave, like, yeah. He he has. Like, we had the neighborhood kids over, and they were mm-hmm. playing with this magic kit. And a bunch of them were, like, reading the directions. And um, one of the younger ones was not really as involved but wanted to be. And I heard Spencer I was at the top of the stairs just kind of checking in, but he didn't know I was there. And I heard him say, um, we'll call her Luna. Mm -hmm. Luna, like, you can be our assistant, so you feel included. You can be part of the magic show. And that is another a goal. You know what I mean? Like, that's him understanding that she might not understand what they're doing, but he's incorporating her and knowing and being empathetic that she's not feeling included right now, but that's his way of making her a part of the group. And I want him to do that at five years old and at 25 years old when he's in a workspace and someone Mm -hmm. new comes in and he's been there and makes this new person feel comfortable. It's all different in different phases of life, but it's the same goal of being empathetic and compassionate. And that started with investments in time when they were eight months old crawling on the floor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like you said, where for her, that might be a more natural thing. That's something he's learned to do. He's learned. But he's genuinely learned it, right? You didn't yeah. have to be there for him to say, oh, thanks for the reminder of your presence or whatever. Like, he learned, oh, I should do this thing that he naturally then did. Now he is. Now 
he does that on his own and he's mindful of that. And mm-hmm. I'm just super proud. Mm-hmm. And, and there's still work that we're doing. That, you know, like I said, it's not, it's a work in progress. Everything changes and there's new challenges mm-hmm. that come up. But I feel confident knowing that we can work through it and that I, you know, we've laid the foundation. So these are, these are little deals to deal with. Speaking of this, Spencer was a, if anyone out there is listening and has like a kid that like likes clear expectations and likes to know what's coming up and doesn't love changes, Spencer was one of those kids and one of the best things we ever did. He was two. I did a visual schedule for him during the day and you can make it as easy as you want. I did print out and I had like a teacher's um, little chart that I had had from, you know, when I was teaching. So it would have like an outline of our day, like wake up, breakfast, free choice play, learning time, you know, mm-hmm. um, library story time. And over time, we had got to slowly and gradually remove that. We would still talk about the schedule for the day, but at this phase of his life when he was two, it just helped him, helped him feel settled. Mm-hmm. And it was an easy, he could, it could be a dry erase board and it can be four things and you can just do part of the day. Mm-hmm. But for him, in, when things changed, we would just flip it over and I would have him like, oh, we're running late today and we're not going to make it to story time. We're going to head to the playground instead. So I would have him remove the library time, put in the playground card. And to him, like he was kind of in control a little bit. Mm-hmm. But that just having a, a clear expectation, some adults work on that. They're scheduled and calendar type people. What's the blast? <laughs> Gamble. <laughs> yes. That in Emerson was like, oh, I'll do anything whenever you want. Like, oh, you want me to leave now? Yep, I'll just leave my Barbies. That mm-hmm. wasn't good for him. He needed to know what was yeah. coming up. So that was like a quick tip that loved it. it. We gradually phased it out, but he's still like similar in that sense. He likes to know what's coming up. And he probably keeps track of it more in his head now. Yeah. Because a, he can. That's how his head works. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Actually, my mom tells the story of Brian, mm-hmm. Logue's husband, mm-hmm. um, Spencer's dad. He was in, like, kindergarten. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she, it, during the day, went to, like, put laundry away. And she went to Brian's dresser, and she went to put away, like, his shorts or pants or whatever. Opens the drawer, and things are different. So he had, like, pi- like piles of outfits <laughs> and that's not how his drawers used to be. And so she just put the clean laundry like on the bed. She didn't put it away. She didn't mess up the piles. And then when he came home, she's like, Bri, what, what's with the piles in your drawers? And he's like, did you change it? And she was like, no, the piles are still, they're still there, but what's going on? He's like, well, this is for today after school, sporty clothes. This is if it's <laughs> rainy. This is Tuesday. This is whatever. He had it all the laid apple out. doesn't fall from the tree. <laughs> they're, they're very similar kids. And he had all these plans laid out. And then she said, fast forward, like, he's in high school. My brother Eric's two years older, and they're very different people mm-hmm. personality-wise. Brian is early for everything, so he would get up in the morning and he would, like, have breakfast he would watch sports center and he would like be all ready to go eric would like be running out the door throwing on a shirt grabbing breakfast as he goes running late and mom said they're in high school and all of a sudden they're running out the door and brian's like eric 
you're wearing my shirt. And he's like, yeah, whatever, dude. Like, we share clothes. He's like, I was going to wear that on Thursday. <laughs> I'm like, he no longer laid it out in his drawers. <laughs> but he had it planned out. He had a plan. He had a plan. <laughs> and I feel like this is how Spencer works. Yeah, absolutely. Right? That's... And it's just like, figure. it's not bad. You should nope. have figure out how to cope. Absolutely. Yep. And that is what you guys have worked on for him. Mm-hmm. Starting with the visual schedule. Yeah. Another one that... Like, I hope it's not coming off like, oh, they're the best kid. Like, they don't, they never misbehaved or they didn't have it. That was, that's never the case and that's still not the case. I'm just giving you the hints and the tips that worked Mm -hmm. through those problems. And this was, and still is, I still use it. There's one down in my playroom as we speak. We... Um, we have little behavior bins and it's like a, like a, a reward type system. And I try for the most part to do like intrinsic motivation, mm-hmm. you know, positive reinforcement, things like that. But sometimes there's a, a behavior that I want to change. Adults work on rewards. Like people go to work and they get a paycheck. And if you don't, you're probably not going to go to work. Like, and I don't right. want all the kids to, on every behavior to, to act like that. Mm-hmm. But I can list the things that we would try to change in the behavior plans that we set in place through these behavior bins. And we did the same behavior bins, but at just different times throughout life. Here's for an example. So um, one of them was whining. It was just the way in which they were asking for things, the way that they were talking to each other when they wanted a turn, that we just had to speak in a kind way. You can disagree, you can ask for something, but it can't be in a whiny voice. And I modeled what whiny voices looked like. Mm-hmm. What a not whiny voice looked like. So picture this. You can use a, I mean, it could be like, we use little buckets, but um, you can use little jars, little little containers of any kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could use a Ziploc baggie taped to a wall. That's fine. But there was like um, a bin, one says Spencer, one says Emerson, and then there's a, a bin in the middle. You can use cotton balls, you can use marbles, you can use um, puff balls. Right now we have little gemstones, like they're like Moana looking. Okay. So there's this bin and every time like Spencer asked for something in a not whiny voice, mind you, he was probably like two at the time, maybe almost three, I would say, oh my gosh, Spencer, I love how you told me you were hungry and you said it in a nice way and it makes me want to help you get some food and I'm happy to do it. Go put a marble in your jar. So he got to physically go and there was just a a bowl and you got to move it to his bin, Mm -hmm. his jar, his baggie. Something tangible. Tangible. He got to do it. And I, at first, made it very obvious and like made a big deal of it but then it was a lot of positive reinforcement mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. and he of course wanted to talk that way again mm-hmm. emerson was naturally i guess just less whiny but like when she asked nicely i would do the same thing and i or sometimes it was a different behavior for her as they got older we could yeah. differentiate what they were working on but um for me like ours was a jar and it had a line in it mm-hmm. so as soon as you got to that line you got to pick one-on-one time. Like, they could pick, like, um, you know, to go golfing with daddy or go out for ice cream or just play a board game or have a family movie night. It was something they picked out that they wanted to work towards. Mm -hmm. So for us, loved it. We still love it. It works on a certain behavior that they are working towards and is not easy for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, 
Ours is working on picking up after themselves. So when we snowbird, we sometimes, some of our condos have just been smaller. We have less stuff here at our house. There's just way more rooms and there's just places for them to play. And they have a playroom where they have toys in a basement in their bedroom and the bonus room. And like, I just don't want to be a cleaning lady all day and just pick up their toys. So like <laughs> they need to just pick up their stuff after they're done. We, we say one toy at a time. They have a board game out. You don't play another board game till the other ones. Mm-hmm. Also, if you came to my house right now, it's not spotless. Don't get me wrong. Like it's not like picture perfect clean. <laughs> well, it looks like kids live here. Right. Because they do. Right. And we are stay like I am a stay at home mom too. Like we spend a lot of time here and I want them to play like play is so important. Right. So that's our life. But I also don't want a tornado and and me pick it up. So at the after snowboarding, I said, let's work towards something. What do you want to earn? And they both said they want to go to Dave and Buster's. It's like <laughs> one of my least favorite places ever. But whatever. They picked it. If you want to go to Dave and Buster's, I will absolutely spend the $20 in tokens for like, they've had to work at it for like three weeks now. But it's it, it makes them mindful. It makes mm-hmm. them thinking about it. It's not something that they do automatically all throughout the day. So when they do, I give them mm-hmm. their marbles. I will say it, it. we do have a little bit of when they don't, mm-hmm. when Spencer would whine, and I would give him a warning when he was little, and he still whined, I would say, I'm going to take a marble out of your jar. That mm-hmm. it hurts my ears. I don't like to listen to you whine. You can ask in a different way. So some people may not agree with that part or may not want to do it, mm-hmm. just they only do the positive side, that side. We did do it because then he stopped that whining. Mm-hmm. And um, so you could use it for bedtime like every they have it next to their bed if they had a great bedtime put their marble in their you could do it for transitions out the door when parents are getting ready one of the hardest things i deal with with families absolutely every tiny human's big emotions group how do we get out the door in the morning (laughs) i don't know how they do it like we are such slow movers in the morning and Mm -hmm. you do what you have to do and if we we would get it done if we had to but i'm sure it's not easy i empathize with them completely. Um, Earlier we were talking about a social story and I think that's an easy thing for people to do. Um, One example was leaving places that you don't want to leave, like Mm -hmm. your house in the morning, a playground, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a birthday party, something like that. And it's simple to write. You you can, it can be something, and I wrote one for Spencer. It can be something like, you know, my name is Spencer. I'm a terrible drawer, but I would draw Spencer and label him and um, you know, I love the playground. Some days I don't want to leave. When my mom says five minutes, I know it's almost time. I feel sad when I have to leave. It's okay to say I feel sad, but it's not okay to whine. You can look forward to something in the car mm-hmm. or you can look forward to coming back to the playground. But it just, I would read it before we went to the playground on days when we wouldn't go to the playground. or And then I would also maybe broaden the horizons of like, I don't like it when I have to leave fun places or, mm-hmm. you know, to make it more broad. But it it takes them out of it. It's a reminder. It gives them words and verbiage. It attaches a feeling to it. And it's an easy way to get through, like, a certain behavior that you're working on. Yeah. And, it's and when they're not one. feeling the emotion. Yeah. They're not. It's not heightened. It's not mm-hmm. escalated. It's just, like, a little pre-teaching or yeah. a recap. And like I've done a lot of social stories that I didn't even write, like... Like, oh, sure. It's nice to have them that are tangible, too, if it's especially something you're working on consistently. Mm-hmm. But we've done it where, like, yeah, we just tell a story. Absolutely. And yes. it's a consistent message mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah. It helps them. If there is one thing that the listeners could say, like, what can I do tomorrow? Mm -hmm. I would say read books on empathy and kindness. Mm -hmm. That's not going to solve your problems. It's not going to overnight change the way that the kids behave. Start them young if you if they're young babies, but I have. We're going to share a list. Alyssa's going to share yeah. on, on your blog. You have, you have a sweet master list, so I will. Because it's something I feel so passionate about, and it's been such a game changer for us. And it's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's it's just, part of most people's routine anyway. We read books. It's one of my favorite parts because we snuggle. I love my love languages. Is touch and when it comes to the kids, so like it feels good for me and safe and secure, but it's just like special times and to then take it to the next level and be able to build compassion and empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll we'll definitely provide a list of books. It's amazing. I, I mean, I read one downstairs today and was like, love this book, the like, most <laughs> magnificent thing. Yeah, 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 it's like one, like we're all wonders is one down there that just, yeah. it's just we just get it every couple of months and it's like that's an easy one. Yeah, I'll pop out a, a list with this episode yeah. on the blog post. We'll have a, a download for y'all. Yeah, of just like books on emotional intelligence. In that you can do like tomorrow. You, there's a lot totally. of in a lot of books actually will have like it'll just say like fairness. Mm-hmm. There will be a whole section on like in emotional intelligence almost. And I've mm-hmm. asked the librarian when they were little, like, can you point me in some books right. about sharing was like one we'll of the say, first ones. Well, this recent trip to the library is the last time I was in the library in a long time. <laughs> Amazon is my go-to. <laughs> we, th- this And this for us, especially with snowboarding, because we can't yeah. pack up our entire library right. of books at our house. We get a library card wherever we go and we just pay the... Yeah. you know month fee and that's that's our favorite like that's that's awesome that's, that's, let's let's hop into the hot tips so you are listening to this and you're like oh my gosh this sounds dreamy what are my takeaways can you bullet point the takeaways all right let's bullet point some takeaways cuz i always used to love going to a conference and being like i can do these three five things tomorrow. Totally. Um, whatever your position in life, wherever, if you are working 80 hours a week, like mm-hmm. start small, there's something that you can do to build emotional intelligence into your day and just figure out one little thing to start small. Um, like give it a go, like give it, just try something and see if over time, like you start to see some changes. doesn't happen right away. It doesn't happen right away. But invest in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, be mindful and present with them. Like put down your phone, put down the laptop, turn off the TV. Give them your time, your face, your energy, your love, whatever you can give them. If you're with them one hour a day, be there with them one hour the best that you can. Mm-hmm. Be present. Another tip and trick is start young. Before they have the words, it may sound like so young they're six months yes at six months start to identify their emotions I see that you're sad you know is there one year old you can say I feel that you're 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 shy today you you are having a tough time going to somebody else I was shy too like you could stay with mommy Hmm. and 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 identify that emotion with them it's Um, interesting we do that with like animals who we know will never talk back to us ever yeah (laughs) 
But it feels awkward, I think, a lot of times for us to do it with babies. Yeah, no, do it. Do it. Do it. Talk like they that. They will talk back to so us. <laughs> start as you wish to go on. I heard this in your other podcast, but I've used this from the get-go. I read it before I had kids. I highlighted it. I wrote it in my phone. It 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 translates for so many things, Brian, and I did. We did it for like emotional intelligence. Start as you wish to go on. If you want them to be kind and compassionate start them at a young age, like teaching them about it. It doesn't, just because they're three on their third birthday, start kindness. No, like if they're young enough, if they're three now, start. But start as you wish to go on. And mm-hmm. and that was a, a key thing that we we lived by. I don't think at 16 we're going to change it. No, it's not the way it works. Mm-hmm. They don't learn to read overnight by like, oh, they're in, you know, they're five years old. Now I'll teach them, you know. Foundation. It's slowly, yeah, you read to them first. Before they could learn how to read, you read to them. It's the same thing with emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. You talk about it before they can talk about it. Right. It's like a language. It's if a we language. didn't ever talk to them, and we were just like expecting them to speak, we didn't talk around them, we didn't whatever. That mm-hmm. seems silly. Yeah. It's the same with emotional intelligence. It, it is. Um, validate their opinions and their thoughts and their emotions. Like, I hear you. I see that you're feeling... How would you feel if I feel all those language, like those words and that verbiage, use it all the time, mm-hmm. um, anytime you can. Um, work through it, working through emotions is another thing that like just model for them. Give them examples of when you were frustrated and what you did whether it was taking space, whether it was talking about it, whether it was taking space and then coming back to it, mm-hmm. asking for help, asking for a snuggle, figure out what works for them, give them examples of how to work through an emotion because we want them to get through it and and be okay that they feel it, but that it's not going to last forever. Yeah. It's one of those phrases, you know, it's like a feeling is like a, a cloud, like it's mm-hmm. going to come and go. Yeah. Um, and it's the coping strategies toolbox. Knowing. It is. What do I do to feel a different way again? Yeah. It's so important. So, so important. It's lifelong. We still do. I mean, I do it daily. Um, we talked about books and just reading to them and talking about the emotions and characters, the emotions that characters feel. If you have a book at home, any book that you pick up, you can just expand upon, talk about, oh, they're feeling sad. Mm-hmm. They're feeling lonely. What could you do if you saw a new boy on a playground like that? Mm-hmm. You know, put, yeah, I would put myself in their shoes. We always use the phrase, put yourself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. How would you feel if you were them? That's a t- like a tagline. It, it, it's what we do. Um, give them problem-solving strategies. And when they use them, use positive reinforcement. I noticed that you and Spencer had a, a disagreement today about the cereal Let's. I'm so proud of you that you were able to figure that out on their on your own, and you were able to compromise, reinforce that. Mm-hmm. You know, tell them that you're proud of them for doing that. That it's a big deal. Words of affirmation. Yeah, and it carries on. I mean, like when my boss acknowledges something that might even just be the expectation, mm-hmm. but when I'm acknowledged for it, I'm like, oh man, I want to do that more because I was acknowledged yes. for it. <laughs> Absolutely, they're going to want to compromise again. Totally. Um, Use the car as a, a great tool, like pre-teach, and it doesn't have to be the car, it can be the walk or whatever, wherever you're at, pre-teach them, use 
something that happened maybe last week as an example and say, last week I noticed that the shaky egg was gone and you um, had a tough time. Maybe this week could you say, um, can I be next, Andrew? Mm-hmm. Or We use can I be next a lot. A lot. It's a phrase that we taught before they could use can I be next. Mm-hmm. And then they started doing it on their own. It was like one of the first things where I was like, oh my gosh, it clicked. Like they're using my words. Mm-hmm. And they were one and they were saying, mm-hmm. I'll be next or me next. Mm-hmm. Or they would use the phrase like when I'm done. And that was their way of responding back. Like, nope, you can't take my toy, but you can have it when I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, recap. That's a lot of the positive reinforcement after someone does something or after you leave a play date, after you leave preschool. Recap what just happened. That's a quick way, you know, how did you problem solve today? Tell me an example when you made someone else smile. Like, Mm -hmm. how did you feel today in preschool? You know, things like that. Just recap what just happened and have them talk through that. Um, I don't know if we've talked so much about that. The importance of play. The Mm. free, unstructured child-directed play. It's their time that, one, it's enjoyable. It's part of childhood. Like, Mm -hmm. so much of our day is play. Some things, yes, I sent up, like, an invitation to play. or Mm -hmm. But we also have a lot of just free play. And the neighborhood kids come over, and they have, like, created a... I mean, I use a loose term of a mud kitchen. But they also play house out back, and they create fairy... Um, tinker gardens Mm -hmm. and they also play sports like just playing whatever they want to play is so important and giving them that time and that space to do that it's important it's like a part of childhood and we just build that into our day and our week Mm -hmm. and this is something that I can say like is harder I think for people who aren't quote-unquote kid people or baby people or whatever like it can feel so long to, like, play with tiny humans when you're like, all right, I'm over this. Like, I could have built that magnetile tower 18 <laughs> times, right? Like, get yeah. on it, kid. <laughs> We're still putting this one on. But exactly. Yes. But, yeah. like, it's important to just, like, find your own pause there and know, like, they're working so hard to do this. Yeah. You've been doing it for 20, 30 years. Yeah. They're working so hard to do this. Yeah. And just kind of like acknowledging that for yourself, I think is helpful. I find I find it helpful when I'm like over the play, but the kid isn't. Right. And then it's my job to manage my own stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's not on you, them not to that, re-engage they're not ready. me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not their job to re-engage me and play. <laughs> Come back to the table, right? <laughs> yeah, no. The importance of play and in, in just how problem solving and conflict resolution just has to happen naturally when they're playing. Mm-hmm. There's so much compromise, and it's all the things that we talked about, but putting it into practice in real world situations mm-hmm. and doing it away from me which is really the goal mm-hmm. you know th- they become lifelong problem solvers and right. they're empathetic when i'm not there but that happens through play mm-hmm. and or the frustration of your tower fell down yeah oh my there's so much happens yeah. in play like i mean i could watch them play or kind of listen in at times and i do just do a little check in and there's always something that i can take away from it i learn from them or like it's their communication skills it's the compromising it's the disappointment when they have to go home it's mm-hmm. it's the i don't really want to play 
Barbies. Spencer has a lot of girls around him. And he told he just, me today, I don't like playing Barbies. He doesn't, but they do. And somehow he adapts and he figures out a way to play kind of with them, but then he figures out a way to get them to play baseball afterwards. It's like, like said, he said, we compromise. I play Barbies and she plays baseball. That's that. That's <laughs> so true. That's what happens. They somehow figure out a system that everyone's happy in a way. I also can't wait for people to tune into this. I want to give you all the things that I'm excited because yeah. it's hilarious. Oh, I can't but wait. But that conversation in particular about, I asked him like, why do you do it if you don't want to do it? Like, if you don't want to play Barbies, why do you do it? Yeah. His answer to that is hilarious. It'll air next week, so you have to tune into it. But I can't wait. Uh, oh, my gosh. It's so good. And then, like, his process, it, it was not the answer I was anticipating. It yeah. was so funny. Oh, now I'm excited. <laughs> so good. But also, like, it, those are the teachable moments, right? When that t- magnetile tower falls down and they're frustrated, I'm not rebuilding it. I'm working through this emotion with them now. Like, oh, man. That's so frustrating. So Your tower many, fell down. So many teachable moments. And oh. you'll you'll find those teachable moments when you're present with them. Totally. You'll just see it. And then we just build and we expand from that. Mm-hmm. And it just it just snowballs and it compounds. And it's, again, that little deposit in that bank that mm-hmm. then over time compounds. And there you have kids that you know, have that emotional intelligence because you invested that time. Totally. Yeah. Cool. Um, love it. Loves. Hanging out with you is my favorite. It's so fun. I love talking about this. Me too. Because it just can change the dynamic. It makes life enjoyable and meaningful. And to see these humans grow, they're little sponges. And they want to learn. They want to please. They want to do all of these things. And if you give them the tools, it's amazing and I'm excited to see where they go and I don't want them to grow up too fast but <laughs> but yeah it's it's been an awesome journey I'm glad that I've been on it with you because you've been so helpful the whole time thanks folks yeah it's truly my pleasure you raised two kids that I married someone who is not a kid person funny enough <laughs> and he loves the crap out of these kids, and that says something that's so yeah, huge. Like, they are cute. just people you want to be around, and that's why I wanted you to come on and chat with me today. Well, I'm, I'm honored. I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert by any means. I can just share my stories, I guess, and what I wouldn't do and what I would do. But it's I feel been... like I just got to do research with you, though, because <laughs> I get to, you put the tools in. You did this every day. For six years and I got to see the, the product <laughs> and man it's a good one <laughs> I'll keep them <laughs> I love you love you thank you for having me on this has been awesome this is rad thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com if this podcast has helped you on your journey please take two minutes to leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for joining forces with us to cultivate this modern parenting village. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, 
have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.